Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Love Fruit podcast with myself, Ronnie Smith, and I am joined today by a, a very interesting, wonderful guest, and that is Zuzana van der Werf Kalachova. Hi there. To let you know a little bit more about Zuzana, she's a, a highly educated mother of four girls. She has two master's degrees, one in agricultural economics, one in env environmental science. Worked for more than eight years at the Delft University of Technology, managing the European Commission project teaching and researching. She finished a PhD in 2016, focusing on the social responsibility of scientists in controversial technologies. And she's published three peer-reviewed articles in international scientific journals. And besides her passion for science and education, she's been interested in the raw vegan lifestyle since 2015 and has read and studied a number of all uh, a lot of the, the main books in that category and has also successfully completed a program with Jesse and Renny Bogdanovich and has also attended the Master in Raw Food Nutrition program with Karen and Rick Dina. And you can follow her on Instagram, Zuzu's Raw Journey. She has her own books and programs that you can go and have a look at. And she has a book called Fall in Love with Fruit. And she was also part of the some of the raw vegan bundles that were run by uh, Chris Kendall and Melissa Raimondi. So, wow, a lot of uh, a lot of good information there, Susanna. But is there anything that you want to say about yourself in introduction? Well, that sounds really wonderful, Ronnie. Thank you for introducing me so nicely. I think one very important thing about me is that I'm mother of four girls. And um, I just, you know, like to mention this because many people who start to come into this lifestyle always sort of say that this lifestyle takes a lot of time and then don't have that time. It's really busy and it's just very difficult. And I just like to share with people that if I can do it with four kids, anybody can do it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, uh, I have three brothers, so I'm one of four boys. And oh, amazing. And my mom also has a PhD and was is a academic, so I have some <laughs> some similarity there. <laughs> <laughs> you were the boys crew, and I have only girls. We are yeah. the girls power here. That's that's fantastic. Uh, I I I love big families. I think it's great to see people having big families. But um, let's talk about yourself and uh, where you brought up on a conventional diet or something a little bit different or how, what was your upbringing like? Well, so my upbringing was a little bit um, difficult. Um, my parents, they divorced uh, when I was born and I was very sick from the very early age. So like the first month of my life, I already had pneumonia. So I just didn't have a good start. And I was brought up on the typical standard western diet i guess i mean western diet i mean i i came from, i was born during communism but the diet was very much influenced by germany so a lot of meals that we eat in slovakia are really german like or austrian like a lot of influence from there and so we just typically ate a lot of bread and a lot of um, like white flour products like pasta and different kinds of noodles and dumplings and things like that. But also what's nice about Slovakia that a lot of people, especially in my family, my grandmother, she had a huge garden. So we had a lot of uh, seasonal produce from her garden. And so, you know, we didn't really buy vegetables so much in the supermarket. So my grandmother was producing so much that she was just giving to everybody. And uh, I never considered that to be something special until I move away from the from Slovakia to the Netherlands. And I realized what is the difference between the produce we buy in the supermarket and the produce we, you know, just grow mm -hmm. in our own uh, home or our own garden. So so I had a lot of uh, throat problems, a lot of infections, uh, tonsils infected all the time. And nobody really ever questioned whether the diet was, a, you know, part of the problem. And I struggled with having antibiotics like all the time. When I said to my mom, my throat is sore again, she was like, I don't want to hear it. I don't know what to say. I don't want what to do anymore. And so all these antibiotics result, resulted in me developing really uncomfortable digestive issues. 
And I would say that this was one of the main reasons why I always in my life search for the answer. Like, would diet change help me to, to solve this problem? So when I was 16, I went vegetarian. And I heard actually about raw veganism when I was 18, but I was not ready for it back then. So, you know, I just had a lot of years of vegetarian and then going back to meat. And then in 2015, I just found a plant-based diet and raw veganism within one month. And it just made such a huge impact on my life that I never looked back, basically. What was the main thing or some of the main things that made you start to look into diet and change that? Because a lot of people experience health issues but don't necessarily think about changing their diet often what what was it for you that led you down that path you know the interesting thing is so as i said i had a lot of issues with with my stomach like like cramps and really pain and i went to the gastroenterologist and they did all the examinations and they found nothing interestingly they never asked me what i was eating and during my teenager time you know i went into a lot of dieting yeah a lot of dieting because i wanted to stay lean and nice and skinny and that just didn't help at all so all this relationship with food was not healthy for me for sure and i don't know if that was a mental issue or it was because of all those antibiotics that i took and my microbiome was just so weak it's really hard to say maybe probably it was combination of all of these and so i knew that you know like when i ate certain things i felt better and when i ate other things i felt worse so I somehow it made sense to me that what I ate was causing the way I was feeling in my stomach. So vegetarianism was the first step for me, logically, because that was something that was not so weird during that time. Like veganism, I didn't even hear about it when I was 16. It was not something very common that people would do. So vegetarianism back then was already like a hardcore thing to do for my mom, you know, like you don't need meat, like what I'm going to make for you and all these kind of things. But eventually everybody just got used to it. But I realized that eating a lot of cheese and, you know, eggs and because that's what vegetarians typically do. They just replace the meat and go to eat a lot of animal based high fat products. And that just didn't uh, feel so great. Yeah. So I guess that that probably was the reason why in the end, after I think like four or five years, I went back to eating meat. And then when I came back to plant-based diet and I did it the right way, I just felt amazing. And was there any particular person or set of information or books or videos that, that inspired you to make some of those changes along the way? So the interesting thing is that I found the plant-based diet by uh, doing a course about how to be psychic. Oh, it's wow. a really it's a really weird story because I I had a burnout in 2015. So I had three kids in three years. I was doing my PhD. It was extremely busy. I just, you know, was sleep deprived. I was breastfeeding, pregnant all the time. And I was not able to keep up with my work. So I was working in the weekend and my husband was taking care of the kids. But as I went on going, as I keep on going, it's just I was so exhausted. I, I couldn't, I just couldn't keep up with my own ambition so I totally broke down I was very anxious I suffered insomnia I was not able to sleep for three weeks it was really horrifying I I was afraid to be at home alone and so I started to study and the first thing I discovered was these psychic people you know like how do you feel safe again how do you protect your energy so I started to study that and I signed in for a course it was at the Udemy uh, platform back then it was very popular so I just signed for that course and I follow it and I noticed that people there talked a lot about how the food they eat influences their psychic abilities. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. And most of them didn't eat meat. And they also said like when they ate some heavier meals or chocolate or drunk coffee, that their ability would decrease to connect with their higher self. And I was like, wow, this is really, you know, it just makes sense. And as I kept on hearing about this more and more, I just thought like, I need to try it. And so I started with a plant-based diet. And um, during that time, my very good friend returned from South Africa. And there she worked at a raw vegan restaurant. And so she came very enthusiastic telling me, you know, I work at a restaurant there and I never felt better in my life. You have to try it. And I was like, wow, you know, it just sounds so amazing. Sure, just like, why not? 
and she introduced me to the YouTube channel of Fully Rock Crispino. So that was my very first encounter with the raw food diet. And, um, but you know, I'm the type of person who is not like watching YouTube videos and blindly believing everything. So I wanted to read some books about that. And um, my very, one of the very first books that I read was the 80 Tenten Diet. I don't remember who told me about it anymore. I don't know if it was in one of the Christina's video or who introduced that book to me. I don't know, but that was really like second book I got the first one was it was called raw and simple it was super high fat gourmet uh, book but you know it said it was simple and i had three kids so i figured that was something for me but uh, it was just super high fat and it was not my thing i tried it and i didn't feel as great i had a lot of cravings and uh, i don't know that that had a lot of oil and nuts and you know things like that but of course, if you are transitioning from the regular diet to and you just start to eat that, that already feels a little bit lighter and different. But it was just not it. So after a month of trying that, I just figured, no, that that just was not for me. And so I read 80 10 10 and I started to implement the principles of 80 10 10. And during that time, we were living in Switzerland and it was winter, it was December, it was really cold. We were going skiing and I just decided I'm just going for it. Because my energy was so low and I just thought like, I need to take care of these three kids. I need to have my energy. So I started to eat super high fruit. And many people, you know, thought like, this is totally counterintuitive. It's outside is really cold and you are eating all these juicy fruits like mangoes and grapes and uh, pineapples. They had very good ones. And I just felt amazing. It was like, wow, you know, like I never thought it was possible to feel this way. And so I decided to get pregnant the fourth time, Ronnie, like seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I say that Matilda is an 80 tenten baby because really it was the fruit that that brought such an urge in me to get pregnant again. And I just thought uh -huh. I can do anything, you know, like I can do anything. I was still busy with my PhD. It didn't make sense to get pregnant at all because during my PhD, I had three kids already and my promoter was every time like, not again, please. You know, I was like, whatever. I just feel so great. I can manage. And I did it. I delivered Matilda three weeks after my PhD defense. Amazing. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's uh, amazing. Um, let me ask you about how challenging did you find it to make these changes? Did you find it easy? Did you, did it take time for you? Was it automatic or, or how did it, how did it work for you? I think it was a combination of easy and difficult mm -hmm. because there were moments when it was very easy and there were moments when it was very difficult. And I've been doing this now for more than seven years. And I, you know, noticed some pattern on myself. Like I realized I, I have become a better observer of my own actions. And I noticed it's very easy when I prioritize my well-being. If I really put myself first, and not put the kids first then then it's easy but if i'm trying to take care of everybody first and then trying to eat raw i always end up under eating always every single time right and then i get cravings and you know now i don't feel bad about myself anymore when i end up in that situation because i know exactly what's going on and how to fix it but at the beginning it was very difficult because i really thought that I was not good enough, that I I was not having enough willpower and how come that other people can do it and I couldn't do it. So so at the beginning, during these periods, when I had cravings and when I felt out of control, it was very difficult and very challenging, absolutely. Oh, wow. Yeah, and did you, from what you're saying, it sounds, it sounds like you didn't, you didn't do it successfully straight away. Did it take some time for you to learn how to do it and some mistakes along the way yeah so so for me actually it was very easy to do food for uh, fruit for breakfast mm -hmm. that that was very natural there was like you know no argument about it no difficulties like super easy because it felt very natural like when i started to eat fruit for breakfast eating anything else just even didn't feel possible for me you know it's like the first natural choice so breakfast super easy lunch depending on my activity level and depending on how much I would eat for breakfast. So if I ate enough, it was quite easy. But during the time I was um, 
well, I was uh, breastfeeding, so I needed a lot of calories. So, you know, that was my challenge, those calories that I, I had, I had times when it was really difficult to get enough calories. And when I was not getting enough calories, I saw my baby was not gaining weight. She was more fuzzy and more crying. So I was not pushing it. I was not like, you know, trying to be 100% raw during that time. That was not my goal. My goal was to feel energetic and just feel really good. So that's what I did. But after Matilda weaned off and uh, I just went back to my normal non-breastfeeding, non-pregnant body, um, it was it was a little bit easier to, you know, to, to, to focus on my own bodily needs instead of just uh, feeding the newborn baby and taking care of children. But still, I feel that definitely um, that transition was not straightforward for me and there was a lot of back and forth back and forth back and forth and sort of like figuring out which way works the best for me excellent yeah and i'd like to know a lot across these various changes you made what were the impacts that you had or what impacts did you feel and was it a difference between going raw and just being plant-based oh amazing the difference is like for me personally, I know that some people can eat cooked food and don't feel the difference. But for me, the difference is like day and night. It's just incredible. So when I eat raw, I, I feel like clear headed. My mental clarity is like amazing. And also one of the things I notice is that, that the way how I look at myself is just so much more kind and so much more gentle and so much more forgiving. Like I'm not so judgmental towards myself when I'm fully raw. I just really feel good about myself. You know, I feel good in my body. I feel strong in my mind and strong in my body. So it's amazing. And I mentioned on my Instagram recently that um, during the last year when I was doing the Mastering Raw Food Nutrition program, I actually decided that I needed to make peace with cooked food to not be f cooked food hours or, you know, like, like afraid of it. Because there are moments when it's just handy to to accept that cooked food is okay to eat, but um, it doesn't matter if I accept it and I and I have a peaceful mind with it. It still makes me feel as optimal as <laughs> the fuller option. But I'm I'm sort of like you know good with it now. Yeah. But the the, the difference if you ask me is big for me. Yes, especially if I if I take one cooked food is not such a big deal. But if I go on for three to four days and every day I take a cooked food, I really I just feel more heavy. I don't know, like yeah, yeah, heavy. That that that, that sounds that sounds right. It's funny that you mentioned the thing about psychic earlier on because I I had went to a psychic school at one point and that was that was involved with me changing my diet as well interesting interesting yeah yeah so similar thing um so what would be a typical day like for you now okay so i can tell you what i did today i don't know it's now like maybe lunchtime so i already had two big smoothies today which could probably be one smoothie but it didn't fit in my blender since i have this vacuum blender somehow i can't fit as much in it like, you know, the big Vitamix carafe fits somehow much more than this BioChef um, vacuum blender thing. But I like the taste of the vacuum blender, so I'm willing to do the double batch. So I had a smoothie which had like 600 grams of mangoes. It had four bananas and it had like 200 grams of kale and some water. And I mix it all together. And I don't know, that can be... 600 maybe 700 calories i think around 700 probably but the mango was quite quite a lot and plus four bananas it was good enough for me so that's what i had for breakfast and for lunch if i manage to prepare it i'm not sure yet i either have a salad or i have grapes depending on how well i'm on time you know to walk the dog and go to get the girls from school so grape is the easy option because i just wash it and eat it so that's super easy I think I probably have two um, 500 grams uh, packages. So like one kilogram of grapes, if I go for grapes. And if I go for salad, it will be like giant. It will be, you know, most people I observe have this Ikea bamboo bowl, which is why I really like really, really, really big. And so I will just fill it with romaine lettuce, like grove sprouts. 
I will put some sprouts in there. And I love white cabbage and red cabbage and radishes and whatever I have at home, I will just run it through my food processor and just fill that bowl totally fully. And I will put um, dressing that will be fruit based. So either mango base or date base. I like that very much. Um, and sometimes I will add some hand seeds then uh, in the dressing. And then in the evening, I'll just have another smoothie or another fruit. It really depends. For me, it doesn't really matter when I eat my salad, if it's um, during the lunchtime or in the, in the evening. It doesn't really matter. But I noticed that because of the girls, it's somehow easier to eat it when they are still at school. Then I just can enjoy it. You know, I don't have to rush and help other people when I'm eating. It's like I like to have my peace when I'm eating. So I often do lunch for uh, salad for lunch. Sure. Excellent. And you've obviously done, you, obviously you're uh, involved in education. And when it comes to changing to this lifestyle, did you, it, it sounds like you educated yourself with reading a lot of the books and things. Was that an important part of your journey? And what were some of the highlights for you of some of the things that you've uh, learned and, and read about and what's helped you the most, would you say? Yeah, so education, definitely really important. I think that the first I mentioned was the self-care and self-love and putting yourself first. And I think equally important for me was the education part because that helped me to become confident about what I was doing. Because, you know, there are always these people around who will question, but where do you get this from? And you can't get this on, on this diet and it's not natural. And, you know, all these kind of comments, like I'm sure that people who are trying to eat this way are familiar with these kind of circumstances when people question them. And uh, when I was not educated, I felt insecure about my own choice I just was not sure like is it what I'm doing right even though I felt good but of course at the beginning as I mentioned there were periods when I had cravings when I didn't feel good and those were the moments when I was very vulnerable to doubt myself you know like I'm not feeling as great maybe those people are right maybe this diet doesn't work and that's where the education came in and that really made me confident about the fact that the diet is absolutely 100% right because it proves every single time to me when I do the diet right, I feel amazing. There is no doubt. It's really about how we execute it. And when we know what we are doing, when we know what fat, what kind of role fat is playing, what kind of role uh, vegetables are playing, leafy green vegetables especially, how much volume we need to eat, and you know, all these things... Uh, also that we have to supplement with B12 and have to get some iodine sometimes from some sources, how to get selenium and all these kind of things. If you, if you know what you are doing, it just, it just feels so much easier to do it. Right. And um, any particular book that you like? Any particular book? I, I would say that none of the books that I read had all answers for me. Okay. I really think that uh, because nobody, no single person has answers for everything. I think every book is somebody's personal account or personal experience of what worked, you know, for them personally or the experiences maybe they had with helping other people. But I really like to read broad spectrum of experiences from different authors and then make up my mind of what makes the most sense to me personally. Excellent. But but definitely, you know, if you ask me, I mean, 80, 10, 10, I think it's a great book. It's amazing. Uh, it's amazing starting point for just really understanding that we don't need to eat as much protein and fat as, uh, as we tend to believe. And I also like very much the China study. I think it's also a very good book for somebody who is transitioning to plant-based way of eating. Because not everybody jumps right away to raw, you know. A lot of people go to whole food plant-based first, which I think is a really uh, reasonable step to make. And so um, those two books are good, I think. And I love the Mastering Raw Food Nutrition by Rick and Carantina. It's uh, really, it's an amazing program. And I think a lot of, another challenge people have is trying to find support, friendship, community. Were you able to meet other people that were doing this kind of thing and and how did you find those people if you did and or, or was was there any kind of support or community you could find that helped you with that so at the beginning a zero community for me 
I was busy with my kids, you know, that was all that mattered uh, to me and finishing my PhD. But my greatest support I had in my husband because he always supported me. You know, he never he never questioned my choices. He never pointed to the amount of fruits I, I sent him to buy in the Lidl back then because we didn't have as much money. So we had to go shopping in Lidl, buying boxes of bananas and whatever was available. And he just did it for me without without questioning and it was a lot of work extra while managing three small kids i mean we had four kids in five years so you know it was really intense very busy and uh, he was always very supportive always happy to eat raw meals that i made his normal is to make smoothies for work every single evening before he goes to sleep that's just his normal so i think if i lived with somebody who would continuously question me or criticize me it would be very difficult. It would be probably, yeah, very difficult. But then later when the girls grew up a little bit, I started to start, start my Instagram account. And that's how I started to connect with more people. So basically most of the friends I have who eat the same way, way are actually online friends. And uh, by Instagram, I connected with Wendy and I uh, went to the Dutch Fruit Festival in 2019. So, and we are now really nice, good friends. So that's very nice. Through her, I also discovered the Rovig and Netherlands uh, network, which Daniela is managing. So, so it's kind of nice to know that the resources are there. Whenever, you know, I feel ready, people are there. So I can just join them. That's very nice. And I think it's important. I think it's important to feel supported with, by the community because it really makes you feel like you are not alone in this. And what was kept you inspired to keep on sharing? And, and you've grown quite a big following of people on Instagram on Zuzu's Raw Journey. What kind of kept you going with that and inspired you there? The way how I felt, you know, I, I wanted everybody to experience this. I know that there are so many people who struggle with mental issues, or just different chronic disease. And uh, many people just don't know that there are possibilities like this. And uh, I don't say that it's only food which is important for healing. I mean, there are a lot of other aspects, but it just really makes sense to me. And I see it every single time on my own, on my own body, in my own body, that what I eat changes the way I, I experience reality. So I think it's really, really, it's a big part. It's a big part. Uh-huh. I don't think that I can meditate myself into health while eating something, you know, like McDonald's or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, I think that, I don't know if you agree with me, but I feel like there's a lot of people in the world looking for a way to get healthier without changing their diet. They want to do almost everything else, including the meditation, the spiritual stuff, the (laughs) mindset, exercise, Every, they want to work on everything, but they are not focused on their diet. Have you ever seen that? You know, I, I feel like I see this all the time around me because I have, uh, I hope that I'm not making anybody feeling offended, but I have uh, doctors in my family, you know, and they are super sportive. They are super, super fit people. And they are making their choices with uh, with a diet, like, you know, they're not eating McDonald's, obviously. But still, um, when I see the information I have about nutrition, I, I really see that there is definitely a gap in the medical school education. Uh, the doctors just don't receive the education about nutrition at all. And it's really, it's really pity, you know, I, I find that it's... Uh, yeah, it's a pity that this is the case because doctors are the ones who are coming in contact with people who need to change their diet as a first step, you know, or one of the first steps. I mean, many people also have difficult uh, social economic situations. So, of course, there are other aspects uh, than eating, but I think that food is just such an important part of how we how we feel and how we experience ourselves. Yeah, and... A, a big question for me that I think that is is interesting is you've obviously you're obviously helping people and you get probably questions from people now and I think you've done coaching and you have your book and what mistakes do you see people commonly making on this diet? Okay, so I think that um, a lot of people uh, tend to undereat. 
so there are like like two opposite spectrum of the problem so so people tend to undereat that's one group of people and then other group of people they tend to over focus on calories and then just eating only dried fruit like dates and like too many bananas and totally leaving out the vegetables because they believe that it's only calories that matter and and i i notice from my own experience that it's a balance between the two so we need to get just the right amount of calories but we also need to get the right amount of nutrients so if we are only focusing on calories and we are lacking on nutrients for me personally it doesn't work i can eat 3000 calories of bananas and have cravings and gain weight and actually it happened to me i gained the most amount of weight while I was doing that so that was my hard <laughs> lesson to to learn and um so i always say to people also don't rush it too fast like you don't have to be perfect overnight mm-hmm. is it your goal to be raw vegan or is it your goal to feel good and you know when you start to run or you want to start to do yoga it's not that you do the deepest stretch overnight it's just not how it works you have to allow time and patience and just really work on your goal but one step at a time because the the more you push it, the more prone you are uh, just to give up, you know, prematurely before you even experience the benefits that you can achieve. Yeah, fantastic. And um, uh, uh, do you see any potential dangers to someone changing to a diet like this? Do you see any any problems that could arise? I can definitely see problems. And I think that those problems are not uh, diet related, but those problems are mindset related. So I feel that there are a specific type of people who are not so confident about their own choices or maybe not connected to their intuition so much that they just blindly follow what they read in books or what other people say. And they're willing to push themselves very far to the point when it becomes really endangering their health. Like I say, like, you know, forcing too many bananas over a long, long, long period of time, like really denying the the need for nutrients from vegetables and just variety of different foods that that I believe need to be part of the healthy balance or vegan lifestyle. And so if people are just so pushing against their will that their body is clearly telling them like this is not the way to go i don't feel good you know like it doesn't feel good either you are losing too much weight or you are gaining too much weight or you are sleepy all the time or you look in the mirror and you don't just you know you don't feel vibrant obviously something is not right so i think that's the sign that that people should just stop and and somehow revisit what they are doing and then tweak things and change things. It doesn't mean that they have to give up, that it's the wrong, that the diet doesn't work, not at all. It's just that their current approach is not working. And we have to be just, you know, we have to be open-minded for changes and stay connected to what our body is really needing. Like if somebody is eating only bananas and has horrible cravings for salt, I mean, there is something about it, you know, there is just something about it. Something is missing. And it doesn't mean that you have to go to McDonald's and eat uh, half a kilo of French fries with uh, a lot of salt on it. But maybe you have to just introduce some celery or, I don't know, some uh, leafy green vegetables in your smoothies. And maybe you feel more balanced. And actually not maybe, I'm 100% sure that people feel more balanced and they just don't have those cravings anymore when they do that consistently. Okay. Um, outside of the diet, what other aspects of your lifestyle are important for you feeling your best? So I recently noticed, it's interesting, this is something new to me, the last six weeks, that that exercise is really, really important. Like before kids, I used to be fanatic, sporter, I really loved it. But then when kids were small, it just cost me so much energy to take care of them that I totally skim on that. And now I'm coming back to my exercise routine and I feel it's so amazing to, you know, to move your body. And again, it doesn't have to be extreme. You don't have to run 10K every day to call yourself a runner. You can do a 20 minutes run. You can do a 12 minutes run. And if you do it consistently, you are a runner. Just like you are raw foodies when you consistently every day eat raw food and maybe you have some cooked food in between, 
you know, but you love the raw food. You want to have it in your life. It just feels so good. So I say to people, call yourself a raw foodist if you eat raw food every single day, because that's what you are, really. And so running uh, or doing another kind of sports, I love to rebound. Uh, I also started to stretch a little bit, doing yoga, which is still very, I feel intimidated by that because I like to, you know, I'm the kind of person who likes to achieve things fast. And that's why I have to be very mindful. That's why I like to also talk to people about this, to to make them aware that this is not the best way to to approach things because then you tend to give up very quickly and say, oh, I can't do it anyway, so I don't even try. So I think that engaging in some physical activity is extremely important. And for me, it also serves as disconnecting from my um, mind. You know, like I feel like I need to not only live in my head, I also have to experience my physical body. So exercise and a good diet in combination, that for me is really, really important. And what about any, what about things like um, your mindset, the way you think? Do you, do you focus on any of that visualization, affirmation, things like that? Has that helped you along the way? So I don't do actually you know so part of the part of my studying or educating myself about the lifestyle and diet and all of this i read a lot of um books about self-development i don't know how to call them but like spiritual books Mm -hmm. and um one of my favorite author actually i like to mention him is um canadian uh md his name is gabor mate And uh, last year he released a movie which is called The Wisdom of Trauma. And I read all his books already before he made the movie. He is really one of my favorite authors. And I feel that I don't do the visualization or affirmation, but I really try to stay connected and aware with my needs and be observer of my actions and sort of understand why I do things the way I do. And the literature of this kind, like from this particular author, is really helpful for keeping me like connected to this to this reality. Because whenever I do something that I don't approve, you know, myself, I think I shouldn't be feeling like this, I shouldn't be doing this, then I think like, okay, it's coming from there, 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 and this is what I have to do to actually be in peace with it. Not like continuously be my own judge and, you know, like judge myself for being not good enough, but to really understand why I do things. And actually everything wrong that I do is just a learning experience. That's how I try to look at it. So that's my mindset. And I think it's very important for for people to I don't I don't really know, like everybody needs a different method for connecting to themselves. Like some people need like yoga, some people like meditation, some people do the affirmation, like you said. And for me, it's just uh, reading different books from from the authors like this. I really like the literature on trauma, trauma a lot. I don't know why I'm so drawn to it. It's just really it inspires me a lot. What, what impact did going to the Dutch Fruit Festival have or, or other events where you've met people? in in real life doing this so that short festival was really amazing and ronnie i'm still dreaming about going to your festival but it just be a little bit more difficult because it's not in the netherlands so finding the you know just um, somebody who takes care of kids or bringing the kids just quite pricey to to come with all of us because we are six and a dog but uh, those those i think that those events are just amazing because you finally feel like you are not alone doing this uh, lifestyle it just feels like you know there are people who understand you and it's like i don't know week feels like year of just it's just so regenerative it's so so recharging it's just amazing it's amazing i i can't ex- I explain it how how it feels it just feels great really i recommend for everybody who is aspiring to eat more healthy to to join um, activities like that? Really amazing. And we we've not really spoke about this, but I'd like to ask you a little bit. You've got master degrees in agri- agriculture and economics, environmental science, and you have your PhD, I believe, is the whys and hows of science, mm-hmm. the lessons from agricultural biotechnology. Is that something, was that something you were always interested in uh, from a, a young age? Is that completely separate to this lifestyle or is, 
is there a connection there at all? You know what's interesting? So I, I always thought that I don't know what I want to do. I always thought that I want to connect with other people and I want to work with people. I, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know I will go study agricultural economics. I didn't know I will go to study environmental science. Everything just happened somehow one step at a time without me really planning ahead. So the agricultural economics happened because I wanted to study economics, but it was very difficult to get uh, at the university I wanted to go. So this was like a second uh, option. And the interesting thing was that, you know, when I look now retrospectively, it was really, it already served purpose back then, because as a part of that study, I had a lot of uh, food production uh, courses, like animal production, uh, crop production. And I just got to see things which normally people don't see. And now, you know, just knowing why I choose to eat plant-based and knowing why I choose to eat um, this way, it just really comes back to what I saw during that time, like how those animals were raised. And it it was just, uh, I don't know, like I didn't look for it during that time, but it came to my life and I really felt that it was the right thing for me. And the environmental sciences that also happened very unexpectedly because I went as a part of my uh, agricultural economics uh, master I went for an exchange program to the Netherlands where I was supposed to stay just six months but I liked it so much that I decided to extend my stay and from six months became one year and from that became a totally different master degree because I found the scholarship that was you know supportive of that and so everything in my life just flew somehow very naturally and it tended to revolve around food which is really interesting because the agriculture biotechnology was also about food it was also about food production and yeah it just really fascinated me when i look back how i didn't choose it consciously but it just happened to be my part yeah excellent and can you teach us a little bit about that what what is that subject about and what 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 did you learn about it? What did you contribute to it? What what, are, what do you see as the developments in that that can help the world? You mean you mean the agriculture biotechnology? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, so I was very fascinated by this subject because there was there was a lot of controversy uh, around it. And when I was choosing my final project for my master thesis, there was this project which involved uh, organization of scientists and they needed to collect information about, uh, they were focusing on public sector research. And you know, every time when people talk about agriculture, about technology, everybody just immediately think Monsanto and GM soy is the one that comes usually to everybody's mind. And so I learned that there was actually a different kind of research going on, which was happening at small uh, universities or public sector research, like in Africa, in Latin America. And I was really curious, you know, like, what was this all about? So I connected with the scientists and actually traveled in China and I did my master thesis research there because China already back then, that was in 2008, they were very advanced in agricultural biotechnology. They actually didn't want to have anything in common with Monsanto. They didn't want to buy any seeds from them, any patented products. They wanted to develop their own products for their own Chinese farmers' needs. And that I thought was really impressive back then. So I did my research there. And, and during this project, I got access to big meetings like the Cartagena, uh, um, the Convention on Biological Diversity and the Cartagena Protocol on Biosafety. And I just went to these big meetings when all the country representatives were like, you know, sharing their opinion. There was a lot of controversy. And I just was like, okay, this discussion is a little bit deeper than what's going on in the media. It's a little bit more complex. So that really interests me. And so I did research on the focusing on the public sector, research in agriculture, biotechnology. And uh, one of the major things which I realized already back then was that everybody was against biotechnology because everybody was against uh, herbicides and GM soy. But nobody realized that these crops are produced to feed the animals, right. you know, the, the, the agricultural animals. So everybody is against GM foods, but everybody eats meat. So it just didn't make sense to me. You know, like you all people hear the wo word uh, GM, 
and you immediately shout against it while you are eating your steak. It's just, I don't know, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, everyone thinks it's a, it's the carrots they're eating or something, or the, you know, it's the blueberries. But I, I, as you're saying, it's when people are talking about these things, it's mostly, um, and even any damage, environmental damage from monocrops and things like that. These are all, being mostly being grown to to feed the animal supply. Yes. And can you talk a little bit? Like a lot of people, obviously, in alternative health and alternative ideas research, they are very against GMOs, genetically modified, and also very against pesticides and things like that. And I don't know if that's something that you do, that, uh, if that's what agriculture... So, so I, I'm not a specialist on right. agrochemicals, but I can share my um, perspective, uh, of sure. course. So, so when I was studying the, the GM uh, thing, uh, one, of the, one of the motives for me was that, you know, um, there, were, there were varieties which actually didn't require spraying with pesticides and um, it was it was possible or it is possible to to insert a gene in a plant that will actually act as a pesticide to the target organism that is actually eating the plant so instead of spraying and killing everything in the field like all life you know in the field you are only targeting the pest which is uh, damaging your crop so it it for me it seemed like a better option than killing everything but i still don't think that is the best option i think that the best option is soil management you know like diversity crop rotation and just not creating these monocultures of crops where we are totally damaging the biodiversity and the ecosystem so for me definitely the gm is not the answer but if somebody tells me that it's worse than what we do conventionally, I don't agree with that. Right. And do you see the there being any positive uses for things like pesticides and GMOs and things like that? Do you see that there could be a benefit to using these? So, you know, the longer I'm away from the subject, the, the less inclined I am to support it. Although I still feel that, that there can be applications, but if you learn more about, you know, like a good farming practices and soil management, how important that is for actually managing the health of the whole planet, then trying to fix the problems by agriculture biotechnology, it doesn't seem to me to be a long-term solution. It's, it's like a temporary fix to me because eventually at one point you will run, run into some troubles again, probably. But what I liked about some of the projects from this public sector was like there was this project in the Netherlands and they were working on cucumbers. And this cucumber had a pest that really liked the yellow flower of the, of the flowering cucumber. And so these researchers just took a gene and they changed this flower into being white. And that was enough for that pest to just avoid it. And I thought that it was just magnificent, you know? Just change the color and you basically get rid of the pest that would otherwise just eat uh, half of your harvest. So there were some nice applications. Very famous one, which uh, was also done with the Public Sector Institute. And everybody in the raw vegan community always says it's Monsanto and, you know, things like that. It's the Hawaiian papaya. That was basically saved. That variety was saved by uh, agriculture biotechnology. That papaya variety wouldn't exist without agriculture biotechnology. So that was developed actually by the um, public sector institute. I believe was a university who made those seeds available. And thanks to that, that papaya in Hawaii is actually still being produced. So I think that that was a nice, nice example. But I, I don't like when people start to question me or or let's say not that I don't like, but I find it a little bit disappointed that people feel that eating melon without seeds is a bad for your health or right. eating seedless grapes is bad for your health, you know? And I just feel that people need to get a little bit more education because they tend to live in some of bubble of illusion of how agriculture works. And I mean, if, if, if seed it, uh, with the, if the grapes without seed is the worst food you can eat, I really like to eat it every single day, you know? Yeah, it's funny because people that say things that maybe sound like they could be right. For example, they might say seedless food, seedless fruits, like, um, you know, they're missing something or they, 
if they're seedless, it's almost like that'll make you infertile or something. Like people yeah, make yeah. these big jumps, you know. And some people talk about the hybridization of fruits, and I don't know exactly what they mean sometimes by that word because it seems like almost everything in a sense is. Uh, so, so hybridization. I'm again not as an uh, expert on plant breeding, but uh, as as far as I understand, it's it's that you basically try to uh, cross or reproduce a plant which would normally not naturally reproduce in nature. So either it would be two varieties that are, you know, far from each other, like, I don't know, from one country to another. So they are sexually uh, compatible, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't cross in nature either because of the distance uh, between them or, or because there were just other barriers for, you know, making it happen. And so people just like help them to, to reproduce in the, let's say, uh, agricultural conditions which are promoting of that uh, reproduction. But it's not like genetic modification that you take a gene from, I don't know, tomato and you place it into... I don't know, weed or something. This is maybe a weird example, but you know, it's possible with genetic modification and with hybridization, there must be some level of sexual compatibility. You can't just cross plants that are not sexually compatible. This is how I understand it. Yeah, excellent. And and there's a lot of myths and ideas that get shared like that. For, for example, you know, the idea that maybe seedless fruits are bad for you and, and different things like that. Um, and there's a lot of, You've probably seen a lot of interesting ideas that get shared in the raw vegan world. And some of them are very strange ideas and some of them are maybe not particularly helpful ideas. Have you, what are some of the biggest myths or strange ideas that you've come across or that you hear people uh, repeat? So I, I don't come to these kind of ideas very often, but I have seen it over the years that people would claim that they would never eat watermelon because it's genetically modified. And I know that such such watermelon doesn't exist because I know how difficult it is for companies like Monsanto to get their products on the market. I know how expensive it is and I know how impossible it is for public sector research institute to get through this regulatory approval. So, you know, like these companies are really focusing on the most profitable products and that's the animal feed. They don't care about watermelons. They don't care about bananas. <laughs> they don't care about apples. I mean, you know, they care about things which are really highly demanded. And that's the animal feed mostly. Or another crop which is also highly demanded, it's then um, for making oil, like the oilseed rape in Canada. Right. So, so, you know, like like foods that are used either to feed animals or create processed food to actually support a stable shell life those are the ones that the big companies want to produce because they know there there is a big market for for this kind of crops right so i've had friends of mine who'll say that you know so if i was eating fruit for example they will say that could be gen genetically modified absolutely nonsense is that organic does it have pesticides on it things and i'm always thinking well the most pesticides are in the foods uh, used to feed the animals I would imagine and the most likely genetically modified are the ones used to feed the animals as well so if they're still eating meat and things like that it seems to me that if, if there is any risk of those things then they're at more risk than I would be I also I also feel that the animal agriculture is uh, like one of the biggest contributors to all the pollution problem that we actually have and also the antibiotic resistance that we hear about more and more you know, every year. Um, it just all comes from the animal agriculture. It's crazy that people don't make this connection between deforestation, between water shortages, you know, and the loss of biodiversity and the animal production. It's, it's just really sad that people, they are so blinded by the taste of the beautifully presented food in the restaurant that uh, they just actually, maybe they just don't want to know about it because it's inconvenient truth. Yeah, yeah. How would you suggest that we try and share this message with people that are new to it? What would you What do you think is the best way? I think that the best way. It's probably cliche to say that, but I think the best way is to be the change you want to see in the world, because I find that 
if you read like all the health books and you know you know all the theory and you have all this information but you are not walking example of what you are doing mm. people are not going to listen they are not going to be interested but when you are i don't know having four kids and you are 40 years old almost and you look good and you feel good and you know enthusiastic and motivated then people are like wow how do you do that you know like what's your secret and that's i think the way to get people uh, motivated and also it's very important i feel to not push people not be judgmental and not make you know silly comments about what they are eating and all these things we discussed about animal agriculture because I don't think it helps people when we criticize them. I think that the more we push them with negative thoughts and comments, the more they tend to push back. So I think to be the example is really is a really good way I find. How do you find it with your social life, with being with your family, your friends, maybe colleagues, even with being out in the world, buying the food, eating the food that you're eating, the diet you have, and maybe getting attention or comments from people. How do you deal with all of those situations? Yeah, so at the beginning, it was more challenging. As I said uh, previously, like when I was not totally sure what I was doing, it it was just more challenging. And I, I just would, uh, you know, I would be very insecure ordering different kinds of foods from others, like going to the wedding and having something totally different than other people are eating. But over the years, I just, I don't know. I just don't feel bothered so much anymore. And I don't mind to be different. And my family, obviously, they are all used to it after seven years. So nobody really questions it anymore. There are some people who will always try to offer some meat or, you know, things like that. But uh, I will just always very politely deny it and we move on. We are not like stuck in the topic of why not and why don't you want it and you know, I just don't like to debate with people who are obviously not open to to my way of eating. And so I don't know, when I go somewhere, I just bring my own food most of the time. Or uh, yesterday, for example, we went out with the whole family, uh, three Peter's brothers and the kids and parents, and it was a really big group. And we were spending the whole day just outside in a restaurant and a playground. I just brought my smoothies and bananas. And the only thing I had during the whole day was one mean tea seriously so and nobody nobody was bothered by me not eating what they were eating absolutely not so i think the longer i do it the more easy it gets but um i would like to go snowboarding next winter because it's my big passion and i last time i went was in 2009 and so i'm planning to go with my friends who are not vegan not alone raw and this is going to be challenging for me because they want to go to a place where it's like a half board. It's in the mountains. I will not have a car. So I will really need to somehow make it happen. I will not make it raw. I know that already now. I will be challenged to make it plant-based, but I will make it plant-based no matter what. So I like to challenge myself. I decided that I'm not giving up my passion for snowboarding and, you know, letting these friends go because they're really good friends. I'm just going to make it happen. So I'll report. Next year, how it went. Great, great. And you mentioned supplements a little bit. What's your thoughts around that? Yeah, so for supplements, I personally take uh, vitamin D and vitamin B12. These are the only two that I'm taking. And I feel like as long as I'm eating enough fruits and enough vegetables and enough calories, I don't really feel like I need to supplement something more because i just know that the b12 is um very unreliable to get from external sources and i mean some people i know are able to to create a b12 internally but i think it's very important to do the testing if you really want to be sure that you have enough uh vitamin b12 in your body and i don't like to be uh i don't know i don't like needles i don't like so I prefer to take the supplements and okay, it's okay to do the test, you know, like every now and then, but I wouldn't be going like uh, very often to make sure that, uh, that I'm not supplementing and I'm still fine. Like I just prefer to take the B12 spray. I don't think it's a problem. Sure. And what would be some of your personal hopes and dreams for the future? Personal hopes and dreams. Hmm uh you mean like really really personal like what i would like to um i suppose for for your own life personally and what you'd like to see for the planet 
So for my personally, for my life personally, you know, my life is uh, actually really good. I'm very happy with my life. I would love to see my girls growing in awareness of why I choose not to feed them meat. I really would like to see them to continue that path. I know that it's not in my hands. I know that eventually they have to make their own choices, but I really would like to, you know, provide some solid basis for them to understand why making these choices just makes sense. So that would be, as a mother, really important for me. And um, I just really would like that people are kinder to themselves, that they practice compassion with each other and they connect, especially starting with themselves. I realized this only when I stopped to work. So when Matilda was born in 2016 and I finished my PhD, I decided that I'm not working anymore. At least I'm not working, being employed by somebody. And suddenly I had a lot of time to contemplate, you know, like my own needs and my own wants and all of this, which I didn't have when I was in the working process, because it's like a treadmill. You just run it every day, the same, just go in the morning, come in the evening, do the house chores and you go to bed. And uh, so I just would like that people get more space to connect with themselves. And I think when they get the space to connect with themselves, they very quickly realize that the food they eat makes such a big impact on them. But when you run the treadmill, it's really difficult to, to find a minute or two or 20 minutes, you know, to just contemplate what you are putting in your body because it seems like you haven't got time for anything. Yeah, so then I would wish for people to, to create more space to be with themselves and to connect to themselves. Yeah, excellent. And you obviously are sharing things now with people, obviously your Instagram, Zuzu's Raw Journey, but you also offer, I believe there's a book and, and, and other things. I think there's different types of coaching that you offer. Would you like to let us know a little bit more about that and who that might be for and where they can find more information about that? Mm -hmm. Sure. So so the first book I wrote is called uh, Fall in Love with Fruit. And I made this book for the my first time in the Raw Vegan Bundle. It was the second Raw Vegan Bundle edition. And that book basically describes my journey um, with falling in love with fruit. And it also has the recipes that helped me at the beginning of my journey to, to basically sustain the fruit for breakfast and start to love fruit so much, like as much that I want to have it you know, every day in my life. So so that book explains a little bit of also the background, like why the fruit-based diet work, like why is it easier for our body to get energy from fruit as compared to, for example, cook, cook carbohydrates. So there are some, so there is a theoretical part in that book and there is also a recipe part on that book. And the second book is Fall in Love with a Low-Fat Diet. And I wrote that book because I noticed that a lot of people struggle with understanding how much fat to eat. And um, I noticed that many people, especially those that are transitioning from the standard Western diet, they oftentimes think that they are eating low fat, but they are not eating low fat. Like they have this idea that like the fat is invisible in their food, you know, like because when we use oil, it's so easy to overconsume it. So that would be the first part of the book that is trying to explain that. And the second part of the book is really for people who are trying to eat low fat for a longer period of time but then maybe still don't understand the differences between um, the different properties that, for example, nuts have and seeds have and why the omega-6 uh, to omega-3 ratio matters and how we can achieve it in the best way. And actually, it's not that complicated. People try to overcomplicate everything, but actually, it's not so difficult. So I hope that when people read that book, it just becomes really clear, like how much fat to eat day in, day out and feel good about it and stay feeling good. Mm. excellent and before we finish off today do you have any any words of advice for people advice i think that really um one of my biggest advice would be to be persistent like to not give up but um don't be persistent in a way that hurts you you know like be persistent with achieving your goal while maintaining flexibility to tweak and adjust your approach. I think that would be my biggest advice because I think that uh, living this lifestyle requires long-term dedication and also 
flexibility because there are different life situations there are different moments when maybe your first preferred choice is not available but there are still multiple other options and i think when we are open-minded we can always make it work thank you so much for joining me today Susanna, every uh, we've been joined today, everyone, by Susanna Vanderwerf Kulitrova. You can find her on Instagram, Zuzu's Raw Journey. <clears throat> um, the Love Fruit Podcast. You can check us out on YouTube and all the other podcast platforms. We have now over a hundred interviews. Feel free to check through those, and <clears throat> hopefully, you'll find something that helps you on your journey to better health with a raw vegan diet. And if you want to learn more about that, you can go to fruitfest.co.uk and look for the more information on the UK Fruit Festival, which will happen in 2023, the 21st to the 28th of July. And we hope to see some of you there. We also have Fruity Fridays on Friday nights. You can join us, um, join the mailing list at fruitfest.co.uk. You'll get notifications about our Friday night meetups and we have different presenters that come on and present information in this question and answer sessions as well. Uh, once again, designed to give people some education and some community and support with their journey to a raw vegan diet. Thank you very much for watching and listening. Please feel free to share this with other people and we will see you in another episode of the Love Fruit Podcast. Thank you for having me, Ronnie. It was really excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.